Welcome back to the Alts Podcast. I'm your host, Horatio Ruiz. We bring you industry leaders and creators to give their insights on the rapidly changing and exciting world of alternative assets. Opinions expressed on this podcast by the host and podcast guests are for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Podcast hosts and guests may maintain positions in the offerings discussed in this podcast. The intro song, Fishing for Pets, is written and composed by Alan Goldscher from his latest release, Live at the Lakeview Lounge. Thank you for joining me. Today's guest is Mark Montero, the founder and CEO of LCG Auctions, which is focusing on investable toys like Star Wars, G.I. Joe, and Masters of the Universe. In this episode, we'll talk about the items on the LCG Spring Auction, which ends on June 12th, but we'll also talk about other assets on the platform, including graded VHS tapes and an Ultimate Warrior ring-worn wrestling trunk. Mark is a wealth of knowledge, and I'm looking forward to sharing my conversation with him as we go in depth on the collectibles industry. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mark. All right, so I'm really excited about the podcast today, especially since um, we wrote a newsletter a couple weeks ago about toys, specifically Star Wars toys. Mark, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm ready to roll. Yeah, man. To have a toy expert is, is, is awesome. I, I did my research when I, was, when I was helping to write that piece. There's so many things that we could talk about. We could talk about the toys themselves. I'm really interested in, in kind of your journey into how you got into toys as maybe a collectible or as an investment, whichever way you want to put it. Um, and then you went ahead and founded uh, LCG Auction. So if you could talk a little bit about that, how'd you jump into that? How'd you get into the toys? So I'll go a little bit farther back and kind of explain my origin story as a collector. And I started way back as a kid. And of course, I wasn't into vintage toys back then, but I was into baseball card. This is like late 80s. My dad took a friend and I to a show. And I remember one of the dealers had like five different Jordan Fleer rookies, fanned them out. And this is before grading. Fanned them out. And my dad looked at them and picked the best condition one. And it was like 250 bucks. And that kind of got me going. And like my dad, that got him going as well. He was a big Mickey Mantle fan growing up uh, as a kid in the 50s and the 60s. And so he started collecting Mickey Mantle. And I was a, a Jose Canseco collector. And my dad would take me to shows in Houston. And this is when the the card shows were becoming big. And they'd have all the autographed guests. They'd have Mickey Mantle and Hank Aaron, Joe DiMaggio, you name it. We were able to get their autographs, photos with them. I, I got to go to the National Card Show as a kid. I saw the whole industry kind of develop. There was the Beckett Monthly Magazine with the price guide. So, you know, we would look every month to see if our cards went up or, or down. And then we would get something called Sports Collectors Digest, which had some of the bigger stuff. It had like auctions with sports memorabilia and that kind of stuff. And that's what I always wanted, but of course, couldn't ever afford. To me, that was like getting the, the game-worn stuff was the ultimate. So I collected until about 97 or so. And then it was like they put out too much product. It was like impossible to keep up with. And all my friends got out. I know my dad sold. My dad was a completionist and he had 
every regular issue Mickey Mantle and almost every oddball mantle too, where you'd have to buy like the Beckett Almanac to to actually see those cards because it wasn't in the Beckett Monthly, like the Burke Ross and and the Stallmeyer and all of those kind of cards that weren't in the monthly. But I got exposed to a lot of that, like seeing how deals were made and all of that. Stopped collecting in 97, but would always kind of look at stuff. And then when I finished college and got my first job, I had some money to where I was able to get some of the stuff that I always wanted to, like some of the cheaper game-worn stuff. I got a pair of Michael Jordan sneakers. At the time, they were like $2,500 game-worn, believe it or not. I have some sad stories about stuff that I've sold over the years that have that have gone way up in value. But I started an online company in 2007 and sold my share in 2010. And when I cashed out, I was then able to afford a lot of the higher end items. And that connected me to a whole new group of people and kind of got me an in with all the auction houses and all of that. And since 2010, I was just buying and selling privately to like a private network and was able to make a living. When I sold my my business, I had enough money to where I didn't have to work for about five years or so. But you know that money allowed me to 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 invest in all these these different high end jerseys and shoes and all of that kind of stuff. And then the toys wasn't until 2020. My brother bought a GI Joe off of eBay, and he he bought some Ninja Turtles and other stuff. And that got me interested. And my mindset was, oh, I got to have like the best. So I go on eBay and I ended up buying, it's like a 1986 GI Joe Snake Eyes. It was AFA graded. It was AFA 85. It was the second release with the gray file card. We have one for auction right now, the first release with the, the peach file card. But I bought the gray one in 85 condition. Uh, it was around $3,000 at the time. And I remember posting it in a group and I got all kind of like attention and people started soliciting me with like, buy this from me, buy that. And I was, I was like, it's just a $3,000 piece. Like to me in the sports memorabilia world, that was nothing. But I was able to navigate with the toys very, very quickly and kind of, it was a small community and I, I started learning and there were a lot of parallels with other collectibles like sports cards, like memorabilia. But at the time, I didn't know anything about toy grading. I knew no more then than you know, you know, if you're just looking at it now, then you would know now. But if you are familiar with the other collectibles, there are so many parallels. So from there, I kind of collected myself and bought and sold myself. And it wasn't until, let's see, late 2020, maybe December, where I had the idea to to start an auction company because, you know, I'm used to getting my catalog every couple weeks, every season, spring catalog, fall catalog. And it's, it's from the auction house and the auction house is where all the good items are. That's what you look forward to. And with toys, there wasn't anything like that, nothing that I knew of. And when I tried to search and find kind of a high-end buyer's market, 
or, or a marketplace, I couldn't, I couldn't find one. And the fact that I couldn't find one made me think, well, there's a need for this. So, you know, I made some calls to, to some, you know, collectors and we put it together and opened LCG auctions and kicked off um, May of 2021 with the first auction. So many things. I could probably have a, an entire episode with you just about the sports memorabilia, you know, sports collecting, you know, based on your background. And I, I find it so interesting how, you know, you're relatively new to the hobby, you know, this particular hobby, and you've you had this idea to to, to have this this auction. And I don't know how to put it, but I mean, you're not starting from the bottom here, right? You're kind of you have these some of the top, some really good items for sale. And you really are kind of focusing on this the 70s, 80s, 90s, which is really where the toy industry at the moment maybe is picking up uh, in terms of like, you know, Transformers, G.I. Joe's, uh, Star Wars. I think there's a lot of people out there that are just like me, you know, just collectors that if they're exposed to this type of thing, will see the value in it. And I, I remember, you know, when I bought my first few, it was like, it was so neat to see, like still in the package. That's what I remember as a kid. And now they grade them and the way that they're displayed in the acrylic cases, like they look exceptionally sharp. And there's a lot of collectors that are once exposed, they see that and they like that. So I think there's a lot of people like me that are out there that see the value, the display value in them besides the investment potential. Can you give a little parallel between you know, sports memorabilia as an asset, as an investment, and what you're seeing with, with toys? So I think even as recently as 2020, when I first got into it, the toy collecting hobby wasn't very sophisticated. The buyers weren't paying attention to scarcity. They weren't paying attention to pop reports. There wasn't that element there. And then, you know, somebody like me comes in from another space and we can, we can add that and it creates a lot of value. Now, the big parallel though, is the grading. The grading has been around for 20 years. So this stuff isn't brand new, um, where it's stuff people are pumping up. This is an established collecting space that's gradually increased in value over time. It's safer to get into, less speculative. Yeah, and I, I think that with toys, people have been buying them for a while now, right? Like the tin toys from the early, you know, twentieth century, toys from you know eighteen hundreds. They've always been items on auctions, and they've they've fetched some pretty good prices, uh, especially like Disney to old Disney toys. So you see that they're uh, historically toy trains, you know, uh, Hot Wheels cars that they do have a history of appreciating, and then. Like you mentioned, when this AFA, right, the Action Figure Authority for anybody listening, they've been around for about 20 years, like you said. So it's not like a, this new company that's all of a sudden pumping up this new asset class. I'm not going to you know, name, name anything, but basically it's like it does have a history, right? It has a history. It's, it's increased steadily over time and the collector base has grown. So I think it has all of those elements in its favor. And so it makes for a very stable marketplace, in my opinion. Let's talk a little bit about the most recent uh, auction that you are holding. Uh, I think it started at the end of May, I believe. When did your when did this most recent auction start? We kicked off uh, May twenty seventh. So we kicked off. I'm not sure when this is going to air, but we kicked off Friday, May twenty seventh, 
and it runs until June the 12th, which is a Sunday. And that's on lcgauctions.com. And, you know, we welcome international bidders as well that want to sign up. So a couple of things caught my attention. First, the big, big items I'm looking at right now, the 1978, the Kenner Star Wars Luke Skywalker uh, graded an AFA 90. Can you talk about that? I mean, what, that that's expected to reach maybe, you know, six figures. I know that's a huge, that's a 90 is really difficult to get. And it's Luke Skywalker. Yeah, I think our estimate on that is extremely conservative, to be honest with you. There's only two that are graded AFA 90. Now, the difference with this piece and some of the other Luke Skywalkers you see is the double telescoping lightsaber. To Star Wars collectors, this is kind of like a holy grail item. And the top two highest selling Star Wars production figures that appeared at retail of all time are both double telescoping lightsaber action figures. In 1978, they released the Luke Skywalker, the Darth Vader, and the Ben Kenobi, the first uh, earliest versions of those action figures had the del- double telescoping saber, and very few of them survived. So I believe five years ago, the Ben Kenobi in an AFA 80 sold for around $77,000. That was five years ago. Uh, the market has matured quite a bit since then. So now we have the Luke AFA 90. It's a pop two. It's never hit the market before. The 90 is the highest out of Ben, out of Vader, and out of Luke. So it's the highest DT Saber figure. First time to hit the open market, it's got scarcity in its favor, and it's got tremendous potential for value appreciation. I I think it's a blue chip piece in the whole collecting space. Uh, And when we look at that, you look at the 52 Tops Mickey Mantle, you look at Action Comics number one, you look at Super Mario Brothers number one, where they were when they first hit to what they became, you see tremendous appreciation uh, for those blue chip assets in each collecting space. When it comes to toys from the 70s and the 80s, it seems like Star Wars, I mean, there's other series other you know brands but it seems like star wars is it right star wars is the most established it's the biggest franchise and also it's it's more mature than the others you know star wars is quite frankly before my time i was born in 1982 so my first toy wasn't star wars it was it was he-man masters of the universe so i've had to go back and learn a bit about star wars but I've been able to go back and, and I appreciate it. I like it. Uh, and the movies, like it's, it's a franchise that's not going anywhere. That's something that really, really plays in favor to this, to this space is that these franchises are here to stay. You see Disney Plus coming out with Star Wars series after Star Wars series. Right now they have a Ben Kenobi series. Believe it or not, the G.I. Joe cartoon movie from 1987 it's called G.I. Joe the Movie. They're re-releasing that in theaters this summer. And then we see like the reboot of a lot of action figure lines. If you go to Walmart, you'll see some 
vintage looking masters of the universe characters on the shelves. And like this stuff is, is just ingrained into popular culture. So we have these elements just all playing in favor of this stuff sticking around. Yeah. You mentioned the GI Joes and that's what I remember playing with, right? I love my GI Joes and, and I had them up until, man, um, somewhere stashed somewhere, like up until like, I went away to college and my mom cleaned out my room and did something with them. And some of them were actually pretty rare. A couple of them were like mail-in GI Joes that, you know, you had to get them back. Uh, you know, you had to buy a certain number or whatever. Not, not everybody did that. Right. So it was a little rare, but in any case, going back to the auction, I see that snake eyes that you, that we talked about previously. And that's another big time item. And I was wondering if you could talk about that, that 1985 GI Joe, cause that's like a, a unique item. Right. So that's that's the first release of Snake Eyes with Timber. It's got the peach file card and the, the G.I. Joe logo on the on the front is flat versus a 3D logo. That's a way to tell that it's a first release. Back in October, we sold a Cobra Commander action figure for almost $38,000. It was a Cobra Commander AFA-95. It was a Pop 1. It's the only AFA 95, 95, 95. AFA has subgrades, three subgrades, one for uh, the, the card, one for the bubble, and one for the figure itself. Those three subgrades make up an overall grade. So similar to, to BGS grading, how BGS has the subgrades for sports cards, it follows that formula. But the Snake Eyes, so we sold kind of the, the top villain and now Snake Eyes, here's this top hero uh, and, and pretty much the most popular character in the entire G.I. Joe franchise. They just came out with a, a movie last year called Snake Eyes that was in theaters last summer. And then I think in, in January, they sold G.I. Joe number 21, the comic book uh, with Snake Eyes on the cover. It was the original comic book drawing. It went for, I think, over $300,000. So here we have the ultimate snake eyes action figure it's from 1985 when gi joe when the toy line was at its absolute peak had all the top characters that you would remember and this is the character afa 95 triple 95 subgrades there's only one of them there's none equivalent there's none higher this is one to get and to hold on to yeah that's going back to my comment about how you guys really have some really cool stuff on there the last one that I wanted to mention, this is kind of different, right? I saw the Ultimate Warrior signed trunks. Yeah. Were those like used in a match? Because I thought that those were so cool and I love the Ultimate Warrior. Ring worn. Uh, ring worn and personally signed by the Ultimate Warrior who he, he had a, a falling out with WWF for I think around two decades uh, he was kind of a very controversial figure, but always super popular. One of the most popular wrestlers of all time was the the only wrestler to pin Hulk Hogan clean in the center of the ring during his Hulkamania run, WrestleMania six. And so I think in the 2000s, he sold a lot of his personal items. Uh, he was kind of like, I'm done with wrestling. I'm selling this stuff. He, he sold championship belts. He used to uh, wear like uh, these big jackets, dusters that were custom uh, made, you know, with the artwork on them. He would sell those that he wore to the ring and he sold a lot of his trunks too. 
and we were able to acquire a pair of of trunks from a consigner. They're signed Always Believe Ultimate Warrior with his letter of authenticity. Ring worn, Warrior passed away, I think in 2015, which was the most bizarre thing. He goes into the Hall of Fame that weekend, actually, you know, here in New Orleans, then appears on Monday Night Raw the very next night, makes a speech and dies the next day of a heart attack. It was the most bizarre, bizarre thing. And he had made amends with the, with the WWF by then. Uh, so it was amazing because there was a lot of animosity there for, you know, like almost two decades. Man, what a story. I remember, you know, when he had passed and man, I don't know this, we're just going, this is like memory lane, but, uh, and, and it came during a time when a lot of these, a lot of wrestlers have been passing away, you know, like dying and, 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 you know, and then you just kind of shook your head and you kind of became numb to it. But I didn't know it, it had that backstory really sad, I guess, in a lot of ways. It's almost like right out of a movie how it all happened how you know wwf and warrior were suing each other back and forth and then they finally at the very end come to terms and he gets inducted into the hall of fame dies two days later i mean it's and he was young he was i think in his early 50s yeah a lot, a lot of the wrestlers are young now, th- that's, a, that's a piece that we don't have uh, any action on yet. So surprisingly, you know, once people kind of hear the story, they read the descriptions, they see what it's all about, I think they'll appreciate that stuff. That's something for me as, as a memorabilia collector, I definitely give a second look at because that's something you don't see every day. And, and there's also this A&E show. It's like these guys go and hunt for WWF uh, vintage ring-worn items, whether it's Ric Flair's uh, robe that he would wear to the ring or whatever it is. And there's a whole reality show based on that. So that stuff is, is, has become pretty collectible. It, it reminds me, and I don't know if you're aware of the Andre the Giant jockstrap on, this, uh, on a fractional platform collectible. I heard another podcast discussing it, and I didn't know what they were, what they were alluding to, but it's on collectible. It's on collectible, and it's... Um... It's uh, Andre the Giant's uh, jockstrap, and and full disclosure here, guys. I went in and 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 bought like a few shares of it just to say that I owned a, a piece of it, <laughs> you know, because again, I was a wrestling fan growing up. Um, Andre the Giant was a little bit before my time, but still, like I knew who the guy was, you know. Um, so in any case, going back to to your auction, I was like, man, like this is a, a slightly less weird ring worn uh, thing than than Andre the Giant's thing, but oh, they're 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 so cool too, like. We matched them to the 1990 period when he was champion because he wore different designs through the years. And it matches up perfectly with him and his prime. And they're, they're like custom made where they have his logo. It's like three different layers that are kind of hand cut and sewn on there. And I guess that was done by a WWF costume designer back in the day. Super cool vintage piece. Uh, you know, some people may be waiting f- till the last minute to get their bids in, but that's one that definitely deserves a second look. It's, I think it opens at $2,500, which is pretty fair, I think. There's hundreds of items on, uh, on the auction, on the spring auction. I kind of wanted to turn the, the conversation a little bit toward, you know, the state of the collectible market, right? So I don't know from your experience, but I would say maybe say six months ago, 
seven, eight months ago, maybe things were still booming, right? And we could say that maybe in the last, I would say maybe since the end of March, uh, maybe a little bit before that, there's been a significant cooling in the collectible market in general and the you know equities market in general. So I view this as like an important auction for certain items when you're considering comps. What do you see in terms of like the collectible market right now? And what do you think about, you know, uh, what you might see in this auction compared to what you maybe saw a few months ago in terms of the price action? Well, I think the sports collectibles market is definitely down. I mean, there was a huge run up with sports cards that was mind blowing. It had to dip. And so now we're coming back to reality. Uh, But with the vintage graded toys, we have not followed that. So there hasn't been a dip. In fact, it's and there's been no, you know, huge jump either. It's been a steady increase. And now it's, you know, it's picked up some momentum, uh, but it's not these, you know, 10x run-ups that we've seen, that we saw with the sports cards. It's a very safe space to enter, in my opinion. We definitely had an increase from our first auction in May to our auction in October. And we were able to, to you know, double our our member base, our, our registered bidders. We've had a good increase uh, for this auction as well. So we're seeing more and more people are starting to pay attention to this. You know, we had the Cobra Commander sale. We were on uh, Fox Business News uh, discussing that sale. There was a lot of people that started paying attention like, wow, look at what this stuff is worth. I had that. I can identify with this. Do I have this in my garage still? Now, to be fair, all of the stuff uh, that we sell is brand new, unopened, great condition. <laughs> so it, it's not yeah. like these used, beat up toys that are loose. It's a very specific thing. And there's very few of them, especially compared to cards. The pop reports, if you're to look at them, are, are very, very low in comparison. And then we have these holy grail items that are coming to market that you're not going to see again. There's only one of those snake eyes that's the highest graded one there is. That one has never hit the market. And here it is. There's only one of the Luke Skywalkers. Or there's two of them. I'm sorry. There's two. This is the first one that's ever hit. It's the highest of any double telescoping figure. And here's your chance to get it. I think from an investment perspective, both present a tremendous opportunity. It, it's exciting, uh, definitely exciting. I also noticed on there talking about the collectibles market that you have some, you know, VHS tapes, graded VHS tapes, and I know that there was some talk about that those coming up, you know, along with like the the graded video games. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that market. Is that also an emerging market, or is that something that has had its time and now it's kind of still kind of finding where it's at? That one is very new. Last summer, I really started to notice it. Stuff was being listed on eBay and just picked off immediately. And they were going for just a ton of money. And I think people saw the parallels with the VHS tapes and the video games from a couple of years ago and said this could follow that blueprint. And so a lot of these things were bought based on speculation. We actually were the first auction house to... to carry the graded VHS back in October. Uh, VGA, which is under the CGA umbrella, which owns AFA, they graded uh, the first 15 VGA 
graded VHS tapes were sold by us, they did really well. Uh, they sold for an average of $3,500 each of the 15 lots. The highest one, I believe, was around 15000 for Return of the Jedi. The market afterwards seemed to cool, but Heritage Auctions is involved right now, and they have a signature auction that's going on. And they have a Back to the Future that's at $20,000, and they have a lot of big titles. And I think a lot of people are waiting to see you know, what they're going to do, because they're the ones that kind of started the video game market, the sealed factory sealed video game. So let's see what they do with VHS. Their auction, um, I think it ends in a f- maybe next week or in a few days. Uh, I'm not sure, but those results will be interesting. That's going to be a good sign of where that market is at. But that's a much more speculative market. Um, the VHS tapes, it's whether that is able to sustain um, is based on if actual collectors are involved and are collecting these versus speculators. There's a lot of grading companies that are involved, and there's some great companies. Uh, VHS DNA is one. They do a really thorough job of grading of grading the tape from all angles. That's what we have in our auction right now. Uh, but there's also VGA. There's also uh, IGS, and I believe. Uh, CGC, the comic book grader, is getting involved. So the fact that there's all these grading companies, and then a, and then a, another one called Rewind, that I'm looking forward to seeing what they they do. So there's there's these different uh, all these grading companies getting involved, and I see why there's a lot of VHS inventory. Think about how many VHS tapes are out there. So it makes sense that there would be grading companies involved. But it's all based on whether it's it becomes it gets in collectors' hands. You know, a space can't survive purely on s- speculation and being owned by speculators. So we'll see. Yeah, for sure. There definitely has to be a room for collectors to come in. Yeah, and guys like you know Darren Ravel, I know that he collects, and you know a lot of the guys that there are genuine collectors of this stuff that aren't just buying it to to resell later that actually like it now whether there are the collectors at this price point that's what remains to be seen i think there are definitely collectors but it depends at what price point they're at so we'll see that that's to me more speculative for sure you know i want to talk back a little bit about that the stuff that you sell right the stuff that's on the, the auction is you said pristine, right? So, so a lot of this, it's these well-preserved toys in their packages, factory sealed VHS tapes. And I'm wondering, it seems like this, and the supply is low. I mean, the pop reports indicate that, but I'm wondering where is this coming from? Like, is there some sort of maybe a, a warehouse, you know, that has a thousand more of these uh, Skywalkers or these factory sealed tapes? Is there any indication of, of what the real supply is uh, for these pristine products? I think we're at about that point now. Uh, I think there's going to be very, very few of these things to come out. Think about like baseball cards. How many more 1952 Tops wax boxes are going to emerge? Or you know, T206 cards discoveries. There's just not many. And even if somebody, let's say they discover a case of Transformers, there's only six of them in there. <laughs> so it's like that that's not going to change the market all that much. 
like we discussed earlier, the, the grading and the market has been around for, for over 20 years. And, you know, people are aware that, that, that this stuff sells for, for a good bit. And so a lot of this stuff has already been discovered. I'd, I'd be very, very shocked if suddenly things, you know, <laughs> emerge out of, out of nowhere. There'll be fines from here and there, but it's very, very few. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And, and the other thing is like these toys, right? They're, they were meant to be open. They were meant to be played with, you know, so I imagine that it would be, uh, it's not like the cards where the cards were also beat up and traded, but the toys were, that's what they were built for, you know? Right. Yeah. So you think about like the cards originally, you know, like my dad and his generation, they used to put them in their bike spokes. Think about a 1952 Tops Mickey Mantle going into your bike spokes, so they it would make the sound when when the wheel turned or whatever. It's the sound of money being shredded. Yeah, yeah. So these things weren't collected. Toys weren't collect or the toys that we have they weren't collected when they came out. So it's like since collecting became a thing, uh, it pretty much became a thing. I think in the in the 90s when baseball cards, when, when that market became really big. Uh, and then the grading companies came out. I, I remember going to shows and there was no graded cards. And then I remember seeing the PSA slabs around 92, 93, there'd be some here and there at different shows. And I went to the big, sh- like in Houston, they would have the 500 table shows. I mean, I, I was around when this stuff wasn't, wasn't traded you know, encased in, in the grades, but that really gave the market confidence. And it's, you know, some people get upset about what grade they get or not, but it at least establishes authenticity and some sort of baseline as to the condition of, a, of an item. So it's very, very important. It almost helps create the market uh, in a lot of ways and helps give people, like you said, uh, an entry point in some ways as well. Yeah, basis for comparison for sure. Thanks for your time, Mark. I, I kind of want to leave um, with with your impression for the of the future, right? So, and, and you alluded to this before about the the entry point for collectors, and a lot of these toys are, you know, these, you know, well preserved toys are, are out of reach, you know, for all intents and purposes. You know, not everyone can go out and buy a hundred k uh, sealed toy. But moving forward, right? If as the industry and there's a history behind it, do we know that now? Hey. Maybe there's there's a, an opportunity there with Pokemon, right? The, some Pokemon's from the '90s or Harry Potter toys or these giant franchises. What are your thoughts on that for somebody that maybe is is interested in maybe you know dipping their toes into the toy collectible industry? Well, I think stuff that like the very newest releases, like I I mentioned the Masters of the Universe stuff in Walmart right now. I think a lot of people, you know, they know that collecting's a thing. So now they preserve a lot more than they used to. Uh, but I think different collecting spaces can emerge. Like people can identify value with different things like they've done with the factory sealed VHS and the video games. They've identified value there. And there may be something that comes up that's, that's a new collectible. I don't know what that is, but it could definitely happen. I mean, we're, we're seeing it in the last three years with the video games in the last year with the VHS tapes. So yeah, some, some new collectible can emerge. Uh, what I would tell collectors, there's going to be a lot of people that are in, you know, 
that are very similar to myself that, you know, haven't collected toys for 20 years, but remember them from their childhood. And I would recommend, you know, buying just one. It doesn't have to be something that's super expensive, but get a feel for it. Start ident- get yourself familiar with AFA and the grading system and what differentiates, you know, the first release snake eyes with timber versus the second release where it's the gray file card versus the, the peach file card and that kind of stuff. And, you know, all that nuance really, you know, collectors are born with this bug. We just have it. And it's just a lot of fun. Buy what you like. We have, you know, a lot of the people that are, are buying the more expensive stuff, they're kind of hybrids. They're collector investors. They really like it, but they have the investment in mind. Um, so we're seeing more and more of, of those types. And, you know, this stuff has increased gradually. If more and more people get into the space from other collecting spaces, uh, we could see some rapid growth. And, you know, we have some items in this auction now that are one of one type items that are at the top of the very top of the space that have not been sold publicly before. And odds are that they won't be sold publicly for a long, long time. Whoever gets their hands on it is probably intends to keep it for a while. Mark, what's the best way to keep track of LCG auctions? Um, follow you on Twitter, um, and how can they they you know they get in touch with you? So the number one thing is to go to lcgauctions.com. Uh, we have a, a newsletter option at the bottom of the homepage. You just enter your email. We'll send you updates about the auctions and things like that. Also, from the homepage, you can navigate right to the online auction that's ongoing right now that ends June the 12th. You can register. We'll likely approve you. <laughs> and then you'll be, you'll be able to bid. Uh, and it, it's very similar to all the, uh, you know, the sports auctions with the cards, whether it's you know, golden auctions or SCP, things like that. It follows it follows that blueprint. So if you're familiar with that, you're going to enjoy this. Uh, we're also on Instagram at LCG auctions and then Twitter and Facebook, everything's at LCG auctions on all the social media. Awesome. Mark, it was was really great talking to you. Another auction house to kind of follow and, and to kind of allow a company like us to have more comps to have and to be able to compile more data. So uh, really fascinating stuff uh, and really looking forward to seeing how some of the, your auction in particular plays out. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, June the 12th, we'll see what happens. Absolutely. Have a good night. LCG Auctions really has some great items. And it was great to hear Mark talk about the items on auction and about his journey that led him to create LCG. Also, Mark is an absolute expert in the sports memorabilia and sports card market. His three plus decades of experience in that market is a huge benefit as LCG positions itself as a leader in the collectible toy industry. Again, a big thanks to Mark for coming on the podcast and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, let others know about it or leave a review or a comment. Until the next time, take care.